Chapter 13 of Leave It to Smith. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Leave It to P. Smith by P. G. Woodhouse. Chapter 13 Smith Receives Guests. Section 1 Blanding's Castle was astir from foot to hall. Lights blazed, voices shouted, bells rang all over the huge building there prevailed a vast activity like that of a barracks on the eve of the regiment's departure for abroad dinner was over and the expeditionary force was making its final preparations before starting off in many motor-cars for the country ball at shifley in the bedrooms on every floor reggies doubtful at the last moment about their white ties were feverishly arranging new ones birdies brushed their already glistening hair and claude shouted to archies along the passages insulting inquiries as to whether they had been sneaking their handkerchiefs valets skimmed like swallows up and down corridors maids fluttered in and out of rooms in aid of beauty and distress the noise penetrated into every nook and corner of the house it vexed the efficient baxter going through his papers in the library preparatory to leaving blandings on the morrow forever it disturbed lord emsworth who stoutly declining to go within ten miles of the country ball had retired to his room with a book on herbaceous borders it troubled the piece of beach the butler refreshing himself after his activities around the dinner-table with a glass of sound port in the housekeeper's room the only person in the place who paid no attention to it was eve halliday eve was too furious to pay attention to anything but her deleterious thoughts as she walked on the terrace to which she had fled in quest of solitude her teeth were set and her blue eyes glowed belligerently as miss peavy would have put it in one of her colloquial moods she was mad clear through freve was a spirit of a girl and there is nothing your girl of spirit so keenly resents as being made a fool of whether it be by fate or by a fellow human creature eve was in the uncomfortable position of having had this indignity put upon her by both but while as far as fate was concerned she merely smouldered rebelliously her animosity toward smith was vivid in the extreme a hot wave of humiliation made her writhe as she remembered the infantile guilelessness with which she had accepted the preposterous story he had told her in explanation of his presence at blandings in another man's name he had been playing with her all the time fooling her a most unforgivable crime of all he had dared to pretend that he was fond of her and eve's face burned again to make her almost fond of him how he must have laughed well she was not beaten yet her chin went up and she began to walk quicker he was clever but she would be cleverer the game was not over allo a white waistcoat gleaming at her side polished shoes shuffled on the turf light hair brushed and brilliantine to the last possible pitch of perfection shone in the light of the stars the honourable freddy threepwood was in her midst well freddy said eve resignedly i say said freddy in a voice in which self-pity fought with commiseration for her beastly shame you aren't coming to the hop i don't mind but i do dash it the thing won't be anything without you a bally washout and i've been trying out some new steps with the victrola well there will be plenty of other girls there for you to step on i don't want other girls 
dash them i want you that's very nice of you said eve the first truculence of her manner had softened she reminded herself as she had so often been obliged to remind herself before that freddie meant well but it can't be helped i'm only an employee here not a guest i'm not invited i know said freddie and that's what makes it so dashed sickening it's like the picture i saw once a modern cinderella only there the girl nipped off to the dance disguised you know and had a most topping time i wish life was a bit more like the movies well it was enough like the movies last night when oh eve stopped her heart gave a sudden jump somehow the presence of freddie was so inextricably associated in her mind with limp proposals of marriage that she had completely forgotten that there was another and more dashing side to his nature that side which mr keeble had revealed to her at their meeting in market blandings on the previous afternoon she looked at him with new eyes anything up said freddie eve took him excitedly by the sleeve and drew him farther away from the house not that there was any need to do so for the bustle within continued unabated freddie she whispered listen i met mr keeble yesterday after i left you and he told me all about how you and he had planned to steal lady constance's necklace good lord cried freddie and leaped like a stranded fish and i've got an idea said eve she had and it was one which had only in this instant come to her until now though she had tilted her chin bravely and assured herself that the game was not over and that she was not yet beaten a small discouraging voice had whispered to her all the while that this was mere bravado what the voice had asked are you going to do and she had not been able to answer it but now with freddie as an ally she could act told you all about it freddie was muttering pallidly he had never had a very high opinion of his uncle joseph's mentality but he had supposed him capable of keeping a thing like that to himself he was indeed thinking of mr keeble almost the identical thoughts which mr keeble in the first moments of his interview with eve and market blandings had thought of him and these reflections brought much the same qualms which they had brought to the elder conspirator once these things got talked about mused freddie agitatedly you never knew where they would stop before his mental eye there swam a painful picture of his aunt constance informed of the plot tackling him and demanding the return of her necklace told you all about it he pleaded and like mr keeble mopped his brow it's all right said eve impatiently it's quite all right he asked me to steal the necklace too you said freddie gaping yes my gosh cried freddie electrified then was it you who got the thing last night yes it was but for a moment for a moment freddie had to wrestle with something that was almost a sordid envy then better feelings prevailed he quivered with manly generosity he gave eve's hand a tender pat it was too dark for her to see it but he was registering renunciation little girl he murmured there's no one i'd rather got that thousand quid than you if i couldn't have it myself i mean to say little girl oh be quiet cried eve i wasn't doing it for any thousand pounds i didn't want mr keeble to give me money you didn't want him to give you money repeated freddie wonderingly i just wanted to help phyllis she's my friend pals pardner pals pals till hell freezes cried freddie deeply moved what are you talking about sorry that was a subtitle from a thing called prairie nell you know 
just happened to cross my mind it was in the second reel where the two fellows are yes yes never mind thought i'd mention it tell me it seemed to fit in do stop freddy right oh tell me resumed eve is mr mctodd going to the ball eh why yes i suppose so then listen you know that little cottage your father has let him have little cottage yes in the wood past the yew alley little cottage i never heard of any little cottage well he's got one said eve and as soon as everybody has gone to the ball you and i are going to burgle it what burgle it burgle it yes burgle it freddy gulped look here old thing he said plaintively this is a bit beyond me it doesn't seem to me to make any sense eve forced herself to be patient after all she reflected perhaps she had been approaching the matter a little rapidly the desire to beat freddy violently over the head passed and she began to speak slowly and as far as she could manage it in words of one syllable i can make it quite clear if you will listen and not say a word till i've done this man who calls himself mctodd is not mctodd at all he is a thief who got into the place by saying that he was mctodd he stole the jewels from me last night and hid them in his cottage but i say don't interrupt i know he has them there so when he has gone to the ball and the coast is clear you and i will go and search till we find them but i say eve crushed down her impatience once more well do you really think this cove has got the necklace i know he has well then it's jolly well the best thing that could possibly have happened because i got him here to pinch it for uncle joseph what absolutely you see i began to have a doubt or two as to whether i was quite equal to the contract so i roped in this bird by way of a gang you got him here you mean you sent for him and arranged that he should pass himself off as mr mctodd well no not exactly that he was coming here as mctodd anyway as far as i can gather but i talked it over with him you know before that and asked him to pinch the necklace then you know him quite well he is a friend of yours i wouldn't say that exactly but he said he was a great pal of phyllis and her husband did he tell you that absolutely when in the train i mean was it before or after you told him why you wanted the necklace stolen uh, let me think after you're sure yes tell me exactly what happened said eve i can't understand it all at present freddie marshalled his thoughts well let's see well to start with i told uncle joe i would pinch the necklace and slip it to him and he said if i did he'd give me a thousand quid as a matter of fact he made it two thousand and very decent of him i thought it is that straight yes then i sort of got cold feet began to wonder don't you know if i hadn't bitten off rather more than i could chew yes and then i saw this advertisement in the paper advertisement what advertisement there was an advertisement in the paper saying if anybody wanted anything done simply apply to this chap so i wrote him a letter and went up and had a talk with him in the lobby of the piccadilly palace only unfortunately i'd promised the governor i'd catch the twelve fifty home so i had to dash off in the middle must have thought me rather an ass it's sometimes occurred to me since i mean practically all i said was will you pinch my aunt's necklace and then buzzed off to catch the train never thought i'd see the man again but when i got into the five o'clock train i missed the twelve fifty 
there he was as large as life and the governor suddenly trickled in from another compartment and introduced him to me as mctod the poet then the governor legged him and this chap told me he really wasn't mctod only pretending to be mctod didn't that strike you as strange yes rather rummy did you ask him why he was doing such an extraordinary thing oh yes but he wouldn't tell me and then he asked me why i wanted him to pinch aunt connie's necklace and it suddenly occurred to me that everything was working rather smoothly i mean him being on his way to the castle like that right on the spot don't you know so i told him all about phyllis and it was then that he said that he had been a pal of hers and her husband's for years so we fixed it up that he was to get the necklace and hand it over i must say i was rather drawn to the chappie he said he didn't want any money for swiping the thing eve laughed bitterly why should he when he was going to get twenty thousand pounds worth of diamonds and keep them oh freddy i should have thought that even you would have seen through him you go to this perfect stranger and tell him that there is a valuable necklace waiting here to be stolen you find him on his way to steal it and you trust him implicitly just because he tells you he knows phyllis whom he never heard of in his life till you mentioned her freddy really the honourable freddy scratched his beautifully shaven chin well when you put it like that he said i must own it does sound a bit off but he seemed like such a dashed matey sort of bird cherry and all that i like the feller what nonsense well but you liked him too i mean to say you were about with him a goodish lot i hate him said eve angrily i wish i had never seen him and if i let him get away with that necklace and cheat poor little phyllis out of her money i'll i'll she raised a grimly determined chin to the stars freddy watched her admiring i say you know you are a wonderful girl he said he shan't get away with it if i have to pull the place down when you chuck your head up like that you remind me a bit of what's her name the famous player star you know girl who was in wed to a satyr only added freddy hurriedly she isn't half so pretty i say i was rather looking forward to that county ball but now that this has happened i don't mind missing it a bit i mean it seems to draw us closer together somehow if you follow me i say honestly all kidding aside you think that love might some day awaken and we shall want a lamp of course said eve eh a lamp to see with while we are in the cottage can you get one freddy reluctantly perceived that the moment for sentiment had not arrived a lamp oh yes of course rather better get two said eve and meet me here about half an hour after everybody has gone to the ball section two the tiny sitting-room of smith's haven of rest in the woods had never reached a high standard of decorativeness even in its best days but as eve paused from her labors and looked at it in the light of her lamp about an hour after her conversation with freddy on the terrace it presented a picture of desolation which would have startled the plain living gamekeeper to whom it once had been a home even freddy though normally an unobservant youth seemed awed by the ruin he had helped create golly he observed i say we've rather mucked the place up a bit it was no overstatement eve had come to the cottage to search and she had searched thoroughly the torn carpet lay in an untidy heap against the wall the table was overturned boards had been wrenched from the floor bricks from the chimney-place the horsehair sofa was in ribbons and the one small cushion in the room lay limply in a corner its stuffing distributed north south east and west there was suit everywhere on the walls on the floor on the fireplace and on freddy 
a brace of dead bats the further result of the latter's groping in the chimney which had not been swept for seven months reposed in the fender the sitting-room had never been luxurious it was now not even cosy eve did not reply she was struggling with what she was fair-minded enough to see was an entirely unjust fever of irritation with her courteous and obliging assistant as its object it was wrong she knew to feel like this that she should be furious at her failure to find the jewels was excusable but she had no possible right to be furious with freddy it was not his fault that suit had poured from the chimney in lieu of diamonds if he had asked for a necklace and been given a dead bat he was surely more to be pitied than censored yet eve eyeing his grimy face would have given very much to have been able to scream loudly and throw something at him the fact was the honourable freddy belonged to that unfortunate type of humanity which automatically gets blamed for everything in moments of stress well the valley thing isn't here said freddy he spoke thickly as a man will whose mouth is covered with soot i know it isn't said eve but this isn't the only room in the house think he might have hidden the stuff upstairs or downstairs freddy shook his head dislodging a portion of a third bat must be upstairs if it's anywhere mean to say there isn't any downstairs there's the cellar said eve take your lamp and go and have a look for the first time in the proceedings a spirit of disaffection seemed to manifest itself in the bosom of her assistant up till this moment freddy had taken its orders placidly and executed them with promptness and civility even when the first shower of soot had driven him choking from the fireplace his manly spirit had not been crushed he had merely uttered a startled oh i say and returned gallantly to the attack but now he obviously hesitated go on said eve impatiently yes but i say you know what's the matter i don't think the chap would be likely to hide a necklace in the cellar i vote we give it a miss and try upstairs don't be silly freddy he may have hidden it anywhere well to be absolutely honest i'd rather not go into any bally cellar if it's all the same to you why ever not beetles always had a horror of beetles ever since i was a kid eve bit her lip she was feeling as miss peavy had so often felt when associated in some delicate undertaking with edward coots that exasperating sense of man's inadequacy which comes to high-spirited girls at moments such as these to achieve the end for which she had started out that night she would have waded waist-high through a sea of beetles but divining with that sixth sense which tells women when the male has been pushed just so far and can be pushed no farther that freddy waxed though he might be in her hands in any other circumstances was on this point adamant she made no further effort to bend him to her will all right she said i'll go down into the cellar you go and look upstairs no i say sure you don't mind eve took up her lamp and left the craven for a girl of iron resolution and unswerving purpose eve's inspection of the cellar was decidedly cursory a distinct feeling of relief came over her as she stood at the top of the stairs and saw by the light of the lamp how small and bare it was for impervious as she might be to the intimidation of beetles her armor still contained a chink she was terribly afraid of rats and even when the rays of the lamp disclosed no scuttling horrors she still lingered for a moment before descending you never knew with rats they pretended not to be there just to lure you on and then came out and whizzed about your ankles 
however the memory of her scorn for fretty's pusillanimity forced her on and she went down the word cellar is an elastic one it can be applied equally to the acres of bottle fringe vaults which lie beneath a great pile like blandy's castle and to a hole in the ground like the one in which she now found herself this cellar was easily searched she stamped on its stone flags with an ear strained to detect any note of hollowness but none came she moved the lamp so that it shone into every corner but there was not even a crack in which a diamond necklace could have been concealed satisfied that the place contained nothing but a little coal dust and a smell of damp decay eve passed thankfully out the law of elimination was doing its remorseless work it had ruled out the cellar the kitchen and the living-room that is to say the whole of the lower of the two floors which made up the cottage there now remained only the rooms upstairs there were probably not more than two and freddie must already have searched one of these the quest seemed to be nearing its end as eve made for the narrow staircase that led to the second floor the lamp shook in her hand and cast weird shadows now that success was in sight the strain was beginning to affect her nerves it was to nerves that in the first instant of hearing it she attributed what sounded like a soft cough in the sitting-room a few feet from where she stood then a chill feeling of dismay gripped her it could only she thought be freddie returned from his search and if freddie had returned from his search already what could it mean except those upstairs rooms on which he had counted so confidently had proved as empty as the others freddie was not one of your restrained unemotional men if he had found the necklace he would have been downstairs in two bounds shouting his silence was ominous she opened the door and went in quickly freddie she began and break off with a gasp it was not freddie who had coughed it was smith he was seated on the remains of the horsehair sofa toying with an automatic pistol and gravely surveying through his monocle the ruins of a home three good evening said smith it was not for a philosopher like himself to display astonishment he was however undeniably feeling it when a few minutes before he had encountered freddie in the same room he had received a distinct shock but a rough theory which would account for freddie's presence in his home from home he had been able to work out he groped in vain for one which would explain eve mere surprise however was never enough to prevent smith talking he began at once it was nice of you he said rising courteously to look in won't you sit down on the sofa perhaps or would you prefer a brick eve was not yet equal to speech she had been so firmly convinced that he was ten miles away at shifley that his presence here in the sitting-room of the cottage had something of the breathtaking quality of a miracle the explanation if she could have known it was simple two excellent reasons had kept smith from gracing the county ball with his dignified support in the first place as shifley was only four miles from the village where he had spent most of his life he had regarded as probable if not certain that he would have encountered there old friends to whom it would have been both tedious and embarrassing to explain why he had changed his name to mctod and secondly though he had not actually anticipated a nocturnal raid on his little nook he had thought it well to be on the premises that evening in case mr edward coots should be getting ideas into his head as soon therefore as the castle had emptied itself and the wheels of the last car had passed away down the drive he had pocketed mr coote's revolver and proceeded to the cottage eve recovered her self-possession she was not a girl given to collapse in moments of crisis 
the first shock of amazement had passed a humiliating feeling of extreme foolishness which came directly after had also passed she was now grimly ready for battle where is mr threepwood she asked upstairs i have put him in storage for a while do not worry about comrade threepwood he has lots to think about he is under the impression that if he stirs out he will be instantly shot oh well i want to put this lamp down will you please pick up that table by all means but i am a novice in these matters ought i not to say hands up or something will you please pick up that table a friend of mine one coots you must meet him sometime generally remarks hey in a sharp arresting voice on these occasions personally i consider the expression too abrupt still he has great experience will you please pick up that table most certainly i take it then that you would prefer to dispense with the usual formalities in that case i will park this revolver on the mantelpiece while we chat i've taken a curious dislike to the thing makes me feel like dangerous dan mcgrew eve put down the lamp and there was silence for a moment smith looked about him thoughtfully picked up one of the dead bats and covered it with his handkerchief somebody's mother he murmured reverently eve sat down on the sofa mr she stopped i can't call you mctodd will you please tell me your name ronald said smith ronald eustace i suppose you have a surname snapped eve or an alias smith eyed her with a pained expression i may be hypersensitive he said but that last remark sounded to me like a dirty dig you seem to imply that i am some sort of criminal eve laughed shortly i'm sorry if i hurt your feelings there is not much sense in pretending now is there what is your name smith the p is silent well mr smith i imagine you understand why i'm here i took it for granted that you had come to fulfil your kindly promise of doing the place up a bit will you be wounded if i say frankly that i preferred it the way it was before all this may be the last word in ultra-modern interior decoration but i suppose i am old-fashioned the whisper flies round shropshire and adjoining counties smith is hidebound he is not attuned to up-to-date methods honestly don't you think you have rather unduly stressed the bizarre note this suit these dead bats i have come to get that necklace ah the necklace i'm going to get it too smith shook his head gently there he said if you will pardon me i take issue with you there is nobody to whom i would rather give that necklace than you but there are special circumstances connected with it which render such an action impossible i fancy miss halliday that you have been misled by your young friend upstairs no let me speak he said raising a hand you know what a treat it is to me the way i envisage the matter is thus i still cannot understand as completely as i could wish how you come to be mixed up in the affair but it is plain that in some way or other comrade threepwood has enlisted your services and i regret to be obliged to inform you that the motives animating him in this quest are not pure to put it crisply he is engaged in what comrade coots to whom i alluded just now would call funny business i pardon me said smith if you will be patient for a few minutes more i shall have finished and shall then be delighted to lend an attentive ear to any remarks you may wish to make as it occurs to me indeed you hinted as much yourself just now that my own position in this little matter has an appearance which to the uninitiated 
might seem tolerably rummy i had better explain how i came to be guarding a diamond necklace which does not belong to me i rely on your womanly discretion to let the thing go no further will you please in one moment the facts are as follows our mutual friend mr keeble miss halliday has a stepdaughter who is married to one comrade jackson who if he had no other claim to fame would go ring down through history for this reason that he and i were at school together and that he is my best friend we two have sported on the green oh a lot of times well owing to one thing and another the jackson family is rather badly up against it at present eve jumped up angrily i don't believe a word of it she cried what is the use of trying to fool me like this you had never heard of phyllis before freddie spoke about her in the train believe me i won't freddie got you down here to help him steal that necklace and give it to mr keeble so that he could help phyllis and now you've got it and are trying to keep it for yourself smith started slightly his monocle fell from its place is everybody in this little plot are you also one of comrade keeble's corps of assistants mr keeble asked me to try to get the necklace for him smith replaced his monocle thoughtfully this he said opens up a new line of thought can it be that i had been wronging comrade threepwood all this time i must confess that when i found him here just now standing like marius among the ruins of carthage the illusion is a classical one and the fruit of an expensive education i jumped i may say sprang to the conclusion that he was endeavouring to double-cross both myself and the boss by getting hold of the necklace with a view to retaining it for his own benefit it never occurred to me that he might be crediting me with the same sinful guile eve ran to him and clutched his arm mr smith is it really true are you really a friend of phyllis she looks on me as a grandfather are you a friend of hers we were at school together this said smith cordially is one of the most gratifying moments of my life it makes us all seem like one great big family but i never heard phyllis speak about you strange said smith strange surely she was not ashamed of her humble friend her what i must explain said smith that until recently i was earning a difficult livelihood by slinging fish about in billingsgate market it is possible that some snobbish strain in comrade jackson's bride which i confess i had not suspected kept her from admitting that she was accustomed to hobnob with one in the fish business good gracious cried eve i beg your pardon smith fish business why it was you who called at phyllis's house while i was there just before i came down here i remember phyllis saying how sorry she was that we had not met she said you were just my sort of i mean she said she wanted me to meet you this said smith is becoming more and more gratifying every moment it seems to me that you and i were made for each other i am your best friend's best friend and we both have a taste for stealing other people's jewelry i cannot see how you can very well resist the conclusion that we are twin souls don't be silly we shall get into that series of husbands and wives who work together where is the necklace smith sighed the business note always the business note can't we keep all that till later no we can't ah well smith crossed the room and took down from the wall the case of stuffed birds the one place said eve with mortification where we didn't think of looking smith opened the case and removed the center bird a depressed-looking fowl with glass eyes which stared with a haunting pathos 
he felt in its interior and pulled at something that glittered and sparkled in the lamplight oh eve ran her fingers almost lovingly through the jewels as they lay before her on the little table aren't they beautiful distinctly i think i may say that of all the jewels i have ever stolen hey eve let the necklace fall with a cry smith spun around in the doorway stood mr edward coots pointing a pistol section four hands up said mr coots with the uncouth curtness of one who has not had the advantages of a refined home and a nice upbringing he advanced warily preceded by the revolver it was a dainty miniature weapon such as might have been the property of some gentle lady mr coots had in fact borrowed it from miss peavy who at this juncture entered the room in a black and silver dinner dress surmounted by a rose de bori wrap her spiritual face glowing softly in the subdued light attaboy and observed miss peavy crisply she swooped on the table and gathered up the necklace mr coots though probably gratified by the tribute made no acknowledgment of it but continued to direct an austere gaze at eve and smith no funny business he advised i would be the last person said smith agreeably to advocate anything of the sort this he said to eve is comrade coots of whom you have heard so much eve was staring bewildered at the poetess who satisfied with the manner in which the preliminaries had been conducted had begun looking at her with idle curiosity miss peavy cried eve of all the events of this eventful night the appearance of lady constance's emotional friend in the role of criminal was the most disconcerting miss peavy hello responded that lady agreeably i i what i think miss halliday is trying to say cut in smith is that she is finding it a little difficult to adjust her mind to the present development i too must confess myself somewhat at a loss i knew of course that comrade coots had shall i say an acquisitive streak in him but you i had always supposed to be one hundred per cent soul and snowy white at that yes yeah, said miss peavy but faintly interested i imagine that you are a poetess so i am a poetess reported miss peavy hotly just you start in joshing my poems and see how quickly i'll bean you with a brick well ed no sense in sticking around here let's go we'll have to tie these birds up said mr coots otherwise we'll have them squealing before i can make a getaway ed said miss peavy with the scorn which her colleague so often excited in her try to remember sometimes that the thing balanced on your collar is a head not a hubbard squash and be careful what you're doing with that gat waving it about like it was a bouquet or something how are they going to squeal they can't say a thing without telling everyone they snitched the stuff first that's right admitted mr coots well then don't come butting in the silence into which this rebuke plunged mr coots gave smith the opportunity to resume speech an opportunity of which he was glad for while he had nothing of definitely vital import to say he was optimist enough to feel that his only hope of recovering the necklace was to keep the conversation going on the chance of something turning up affable though his manner was he had never lost sight of the fact that one leap would take him across the space of floor separating him from mr coots at present that small but effective revolver precluded anything in the nature of leaps however short but if in the near future anything occurred to divert his adversary's vigilance even momentarily 
he pursued a policy of watchful waiting and in the meantime started to talk again if before you go he said you can spare us a moment of your valuable time i should be glad of a few words and first may i say that i cordially agree with your condemnation of comrade coote's recent suggestion the man is an ass say cried mr coote coming to life again that'll be about all from you if there wasn't ladies present i'd bust you one ed said miss peavy with quiet authority shut your trap mr coote subsided once more smith gazed at him through his monocle interested pardon me he said but if it is not a rude question are you two married eh you seemed to talk to him like a wife am i addressing mrs coote's you will be if you stick around a while a thousand congratulations to comrade coote's not quite so many to you possibly but fully that number of good wishes he moved towards the poetess with extended hand i am thinking of getting married myself shortly keep those hands up said mr coote's surely said smith reproachfully these conventions need not be observed among friends you will find the only revolver i have ever possessed over there on the mantelpiece go and look at it yes and have you jumping on my back the moment i took my eyes off you there is a suspicious vein in your nature comrade coote sighed smith which i do not like to see fight against it he turned to miss peavy once more to resume a pleasanter topic you will let me know where to send the plated fish slice won't you huh said the lady i was hoping proceeded smith if you do not think it a liberty on the part of one who has known you but a short time to be allowed to send you a small wedding present in due season and one of these days perhaps when i too am married you and comrade coots will come and visit us in our little home you will receive a hearty unaffected welcome you must not be offended if just before you say good-bye we count the spoons one would scarcely have supposed miss peavy a sensitive woman yet at this remark an ominous frown clouded her white forehead her careless amiability seemed to wane she raked smith with a glittering eye you're talking a damn lot she observed coldly an old failure of mine said smith apologetically and one concerning which there have been numerous complaints i see now that i have been boring you and i hope that you will allow me to express he broke off abruptly not because he had reached the end of his remarks but because at this moment there came from above their heads a sudden sharp cracking sound and almost simultaneously a shower of plaster falling from the ceiling followed by the startling appearance of a long shapely lug which remained waggling in space and from somewhere out of sight there filtered down a sharp and agonized oath time and neglect had done their work with the flooring of the room in which smith had bestowed the honourable freddy threepwood and creeping cautiously about in the dark he had had the misfortune to go through but as so often happens in this life the misfortune of one is the good fortune of another badly as the accident had shaken freddy from the point of view of smith it was almost ideal the sudden appearance of a human leg through the ceiling at a moment of nervous tension is enough to unman the stoutest hearted and edward coots made no attempt to conceal his perturbation leaping a clear six inches from the floor he jerked up his head and quite unintentionally pulled the trigger of his revolver a bullet ripped through the plaster the leg disappeared not for an instant since he had been shut in that upper room had freddy threepwood ceased to be mindful of smith's parting statement that he would be shot if he tried to escape 
and mr coote's bullet seemed to him a dramatic fulfilment of that promise wrenching his leg with painful energy out of the abyss he proceeded to execute a backward spring which took him to the far wall at which point as it was impossible to get any farther away from the centre of events he was compelled to halt his retreat having rolled himself up into as small a ball as he could manage he sat where he was trying not to breathe his momentary intention of explaining through the hole that the entire thing had been a regrettable accident he prudently abandoned unintelligent though he had often proved himself in other crises of his life he had the sagacity now to realize that the neighborhood of the hole was unhealthy and should be avoided so preserving a complete and unbroken silence he crouched there in the darkness only asking to be let alone and it seemed as the moments slipped by that this modest wish was to be gratified noises and the sound of voices came up to him from the room below but no more bullets it would be paltering with the truth to say that this put him completely at his ease but still it was something freddy's pulse began to return to the normal mr Kutzis, on the other hand was beating with a dangerous quickness swift and objectionable things had been happening to edward Kutz in that lower room his first impression was that the rift in the plaster above him had been instantly followed by the collapse of the entire ceiling but this was a mistaken idea all that had occurred was that smith finding mr Kutz's eye and pistol functioning in another direction had sprung forward snatched up a chair hit the unfortunate man over the head with it relieved him of his pistol leaped to the mantelpiece removed the revolver which lay there and now holding both weapons in an attitude of menace was regarding him censoriously through a gleaming eyeglass no funny business comrade coote said smith mr coote picked himself up painfully his head was singing he looked at the revolvers blinked opened his mouth and shut it again he was oppressed with a sense of defeat nature had not built him for a man of violence peaceful manipulation of a pack of cards in the smoke room of an atlantic liner was a thing he understood and enjoyed rough and tumble encounters were alien to him and distasteful as far as mr coots was concerned the war was over but miss peavy was a woman of spirit her hat was still in the ring she clutched the necklace in a grasp of steel and her fine eyes glared defiance you think yourself smart don't you she said smith eyed her commiseratingly her valorous attitude appealed to him nevertheless business was business i'm afraid he said regretfully that i must trouble you to hand over that necklace try and get it said miss peavy smith looked hurt i am a child in these matters he said but i had always gathered that on these occasions the wishes of the man behind the gun were automatically respected i'll call your bluff said miss peavy firmly i'm going to walk straight out of here with this collection of ice right now and i'll bet you don't have the nerve to start any shooting shoot a woman not you smith nodded gravely your knowledge of psychology is absolutely correct your trust in my sense of chivalry rests on solid ground but he proceeded cheering up i fancy that i see a way out of this difficulty an idea has been vouched safe to me i shall shoot not you but comrade coots this will dispose of all the unpleasantness you attempt to edge out through that door i shall immediately proceed to plug comrade coots in the leg at least i shall try i am a poor shot and may hit him in some more vital spot but at least he will have the consolation of knowing that i did my best 
and meant well hey cried mr coots and never in a life liberally embellished with this favourite ejaculation of his had he uttered it more feelingly he shot a feverish glance at miss peavy and reading in her face indecision rather than that instant acquiescence which he had hoped to see cast off his customary attitude of respectful humility and asserted himself he was no caveman but this was one occasion when he meant to have his own way with an agonized bound he reached mrs peavy's side wrenched the necklace from her grasp and flung it into the enemy's camp eve stood and picked it up i thank you said smith with a brief bow in her direction miss peavy breathed heavily her strong hands clenched and unclenched between her parted lips her teeth showed in a thin white line suddenly she swallowed quickly as if draining a glass of unpalatable medicine well she said in a low even voice that seems to be about all guests will be going come along ed pick up the henrys coming liz replied mr coots humbly they passed together into the night section five silence followed their departure eve weak with the reaction from the complex emotions which she had undergone since her arrival at the cottage sat on the battered sofa her chin resting in her hands she looked at smith who humming a light air was delicately piling with the toe of his shoe a funeral mound over the second of the dead bats so that's that she said smith looked up with a bright and friendly smile you have a very happy gift of phrase he said that as you sensibly say is that eve was silent for a while smith completed the obsequies and stepped back with the air of a man who has done what he can for a fallen friend fancy miss peavy being a thief said eve she was somehow feeling a disinclination to allow the conversation to die down and yet she had an idea that unless it was permitted to die down it might become embarrassingly intimate subconsciously she was endeavouring to analyse her views on this long calm person who had so recently added himself to the list of those who claimed to look upon her with affection i confess it came as something of a shock to me also said smith in fact the revelation that there was this other deeper side to her nature materially altered the opinion i had formed of her i found myself warming to miss peavy something that was akin to respect began to stir within me indeed i almost wish that we had not been compelled to deprive her of the jewels we said eve i'm afraid i didn't do much your attitude was exactly right smith assured her you afford it just the moral support which a man needs in such a crisis silence fell once more eve returned to her thoughts and then with a suddenness which surprised her she found that she had made up her mind so you're going to be married she said smith polished his monocle thoughtfully i think so he said i think so what do you think eve regarded him steadfastly then she gave a little laugh yes she said i think so too she paused shall i tell you something you could tell me nothing more wonderful than that when i met cynthia and market blanding she told me what the trouble was which made her husband leave her what do you suppose it was from my brief acquaintance with comrade mctod i would hazard the guess that he tried to stab her with the bread knife he struck me as a murderous looking specimen they had some people to dinner and there was chicken and cynthia gave all the giblets to the guests and her husband bounded out of his seat with a wild cry and shouting 
you know i love those things better than anything in the world rushed from the house never to return precisely how i would have wished him to rush had i been mrs todd cynthia told me that he rushed from the house never to return six times since they were married may i mention in passing said smith that i do not like chicken giblets cynthia advised me proceeded eve if ever i married to marry someone eccentric she said it was such fun well i don't suppose i am ever likely to meet anyone more eccentric than you am i i think you would be unwise to wait on the chance the only thing is said eve reflectively mrs smith it doesn't sound much does it smith beamed encouragingly we must look into the future he said we must remember that i am only at the beginning of what i am convinced to be a singularly illustrious career lady smith is better baroness smith better still and who knows the duchess of smith well anyhow said eve you were wonderful just now simply wonderful the way you made one spring your words said smith are music to my ears but we must not forget that the foundations of the success of the manoeuvre were laid by comrade Freepwood, had it not been for the timely incursion of his leg good gracious cried eve freddie i had forgotten all about him the right spirit said smith quite the right spirit we must go and let him out just as you say and then he can come with us on the stroll i was about to propose that we should take through the woods it is a lovely night and what could be jollier than to have comrade threepwood prattling at our side i will go and let him out at once no don't bother said eve End of chapter 13